And so if you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depths of the wisdom and knowledge of God that identifies our unsearchable inheritance in Jesus Christ in Matthew 5, 45 and 48 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. We know this promised commandment is the inheritance of the saints of all generations. And this commandment of Christ is addressed specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not acknowledge the power of the person sent by God over themselves have no part to the inheritance of this commandment and most likely will never be able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goals that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. That is, of course, if it is there. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets, where we die by the law for the law to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so, receive confirmation of our salvation in righteousness, in new righteousness in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace not by the past law but by the righteousness of faith like he gave it to Abraham and his seed not by the works of the law not with the works not good works not the work uh, service of evangelism people say we are free from the law of Moses if you are free from the law of Moses why are you earning your salvation through good work, if you're free from the law. You are just the wrapper from the candy, but you're not the actual, the most important part, the candy itself. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. <clears throat> righteousness of faith. Righteousness of faith is the revelation of God that abides within the heart of Abraham that he received. And this abiding within the heart, righteousness of faith, satisfied God and led Abraham into the inheritance of peace. We note that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent and the person who is a father from God to us. The faith of God is information that comes from hearing the word of God, not what we're reading, but what we are hearing from the person that is a father from God for us. And also the people that take this word in the same spirit and present it, pass it on, they are the waterers. Our faith is obedience to this preached word. Therefore, the promise of the peace of God is given only to those men who are obedient to the order of God, in accordance to which he sends us his word by the mouth of his 
delegated ones. Therefore, the covenant of, of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which are the spoken words of God's delegated ones. It is by the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace, presented in the inheritance of peace, is called to abide and be within the heart of a man, evidence of the fact that we are children of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace abiding within the covenant of peace is actually the treasury of our hope in God, containing the bond of all of the promises of God. The achievement of these goals are the given to us righteousness. This is the treasury, and this treasury needs to be within our heart. But for this, we need Jesus to be there. It is in Jesus Christ. It's not possible for this treasury to be there, present in the heart, independent from Christ. It is in Jesus Christ, and He is in us. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, Philippians 4, 6, 7. The peace of God that is able to guard our minds in Christ Jesus is the mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. This is, these are not our desires, these are not, not our fan, fantasies, this is the specific will of God, and it cannot live together with our fantasies. We need to cast out all fantasies from our mind, our desires. As I once said, one young person wrote me a letter, I imagine myself in a stadium preaching. Why is it you don't imagine yourself quietly praying for those who preach on, in these stadiums? You need to understand that if you will not have these quietly praying members, those who preach in the stadiums will not have the power or strength to do anything. If the church was not praying for me, I would not be able to do anything. I would not be able to give anything. God has united. He has made the body so linked together, knit together closely, that he gave roles to every individual person. This is not a, po a position of a person who stands on the stage. This is his role that is completely uh, linked to the other members organically. And if it is not uh, accepted, acknowledged, and people are not praying for him, the people will not be able to receive anything from him. We can only understand God closer when we understand and accept from the person who stands on that stage. And so you don't need to think too much about yourself, those that fulfill the role of, in a, a responsible role within the church as a carrier of the word. We need to be uh, especially humble because as soon as we begin to think something of ourselves, then immediately we will prompt God's wrath upon ourselves. Therefore, I will read it again, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be, so then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8, this is why they cannot simultaneously live in a person <clears throat> together you need to 
die for the one, live for the other, we die for our own thoughts so that we can live for the thoughts of God, or we die for God's thoughts so we can live for our own thoughts. <coughs> and it will not work if you try to live for both. It's not possible that the sheep be uh, well and the wolves be filled. According to this place of scripture, we conclude that people that refuse the condition where the truth of the preached word and the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind have no part to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people have no part and cannot have any part to the sons of peace, who by the means of the peace of God will inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that only collaborating our spirit with our renewed mind, that is within Christ Jesus, we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ. Relevant to this, we stop to look at the four Fourth question, by what signs do we examine ourselves? That we are the sons of peace and therefore the sons of God. Because it is only by the rule of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. Blessed and so when it talks about blessed it doesn't mean just blessed this is also content or joyful in God's blessings when people don't understand these words they misuse them often or mock them I hear as charismatic pastors literally mock this word Oh, he's so blessed, they say, as if he's not normal or completely normal, and they make fun of it. They're not talking about, uh, they don't know it's talking about sacral things and that you cannot mock uh, others in this in this way, or this is one that is uh, uh, filled with, with, with content. Peacemakers who have drawn God's favor upon themselves will be called sons of God, and so people if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, then his justification that he received in salvation by faith in Christ Jesus in the format of a guarantee, this justification will never turn into the quality and format of righteousness, where he would receive the ability to be clothed into the inheritance of the peace of God in order to bear within his righteousness the fruits of peace, which is why the crown of righteousness of such people will be taken from them, giving them the right to the promise of peace, in which they would be able to be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown, Revelations 3.11. Hold fast the peace of God that you have inherited by the righteousness of faith. If you think that you are somewhat special or significant and that you've done something, that's why you have it, then your crown will be taken. It will be given to another. You will still think that it is on you. But as soon as you attempt to, or you go to the other side of time or pass away, you will see that the crown is on someone else's head and that you're going to hell. 
We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God obtains its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of faith in the covenant of peace, which portions responsibility upon both sides of the covenant, where each side that is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God in the written word of the covenant of peace. And if one of the sides breaks the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that the only one that can do this is a man, then the other participant of this covenant, God, becomes free from the responsibility of fulfilling his part of the, of the agreement that was made in the covenant of peace. And God says, I will, I will vomit you out of my mouth, I will remove your lamp from its place, I will blot your name out of the book of life, although it may have been written there at one time. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness is identified within the heart as the peace of God and its evidence that we are the sons of peace and this serves as a legitimate basis for God to fulfill his part of the covenant of peace, which consists of leading us into the inheritance of his son so that we can share with him the achievements of all that is written about him in the laws, the prophets, and the Psalms. Because justification that we have received by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has changed into the quality and format of righteousness where we receive the ability to bear fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12, 14. You see here that peace and holiness Holiness will be evidence of the fact that we have peace. You may think you have peace, everything is working out great when the, a person commits the same exact sins and the conscience judges him and then it burns out. This person then experiences an unusual peace. A person then commits one sin easily, a different, another sin easily, and the reason for that is because the conscience is burned out. And the reason is for it burning out is because this person didn't have holiness. If he would have had holiness, this wouldn't have happened. This, we note that in the given situation, this place is referring to a unique and unearthly peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness or be an expression and demonstration of holiness. Those boundaries are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. Romans 12:18. if it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, which means it's not possible to have peace with all men. Therefore, peace that we dare to or have the audacity to demonstrate using the ideas of our own mind out of the boundaries of holiness and not as a demonstration of holiness will be incriminated as a heavy form of lawlessness for which we'll be, we will need to pay the price of losing it of eternal life. Because our fellowship or communication with people that the scriptures ascribe to corrupt company will perverse or corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. There's a saying, and it's faithful, the one that you will be with or spend time with is who you will, who you will uh, get from or, or collect from, as it were. Do not be deceived, evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 33-34. And so people say, well, I don't talk to them, uh, uh, talk to these people 
and bring up the subjects of God. I just go fishing with this person or hunting with this person. As children, we were friends. He understands me, I understand him. No. Satan has already deceived you if this is what you think. You don't know God as you need to. Do not be deceived, as it says. The one that you will spend time with is the image into which you will uh, become. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the wicked and the lawless that support the wicked, who in their time had received the truth but afterwards abandoned their church and turned away from the given to them holy commandments. The very fact of their rebellion and their hatred of the word given by the delegated people of God that are placed over them testifies of the fact that they have lost the peace of God and the scriptures remember uh, uh, them to the category of the wicked. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, says my God, for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. How does the wicked behave when he goes to church? He comes as an inspector, not as a student. He comes to inspect. One young one, uh, lady came, who used to attend says, I always examine him. I hold the Bible in my hand. What, do I not read it correctly or I can't? How is it that you're controlling everything I say? What I say, the commentaries that I give to the places of scripture, they are very clear, they are very accurate, that it's not possible to resist them. This is God's revelation. These are not just uh, products of, of my intellect or my mind. These are the revelations of the Holy Spirit. What is it? How is it that you're trying to control these things? If you come to church, the pastor that you inspect, this is not a church of saints. If you all came to inspect him and you think that this is normal, this is not normal. It is normal when you see the person, found the person of God, and God has opened your heart to the fact that he is the anointed from him and that he is a carrier of his revelations, that he is an apostle that is sent. When you have this revelation, you don't need to control him. You need to control yourself to, so that you not control him, but receive the word in the format in which it is presented and not pervert it, not change it uh, so that it be convenient for you. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There's no peace as my God for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 through 21. In a specific format, we've already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. And this is by which we need to determine that we are part of the sons of peace, and this, the, this is the ability to clothe our essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Colossians 3.14 15. We've noted that according to this place of scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God 
will abide within our heart. Selective love, it's the holy love. What is holy, it separates the pure from impure, holy from non-holy. That is selective, it doesn't love everyone in general but loves specifically its own. Jesus came and died only for his own, for his church. He gave his life. And if she will, be, if it will be within our heart and will be clothed into this selective love, then we will understand the essence of things going on. By itself, the selective love of God is the goodness of God. And we see concealed the good, wonderful, eternal, and uncomprehending for the human mind, goals and works of God called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and exclusively with his children. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God Ephesians 3, 16 through 19 if you notice here, this is not just a book that Paul wrote. He says, I pray, and he talks about what he prays about. This is the prayer that he prayed. Take this prayer and begin to pray it, but not that he would grant you. You say that he would grant me, according to his riches, of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith, that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that I may be filled with all of the fullness of God. This is already a ready prayer. Take this place of scripture, this prayer, and pray it, applying it to yourselves. The scriptures, as it were, is all presented in the format of prayer as a relationship with God. But people with their words begin with their own ideas. They, you, I often say you come to the most important uh, people of the city and you, to receive something, you need a piece of paper upon which you need to write clearly who you are, why you're there, but a person takes a napkin that he wipes his mouth at, uh, with at the table, writes something sloppy on it, and brings it. Imagine God is a king. He says, take these words of prayer. What are you coming to me with? Look at how you're praying. A prayer begins, and people begin to wail and and complain. Why is it that you are always speaking the word, the name of the Lord in vain? This is a lawless thing. Do not speak, uh, speak the name of the Lord your God in vain. It says in the scriptures. But this person becomes as a somewhat of a parasite. It doesn't know what to talk about. It doesn't know what to pray about. Um, when you uh, 
it's one thing when people go on the stage and say, dear brothers, dear friends, dear friends, and don't know what they're saying. Uh, I uh, used to go to church when I was a young man with another gentleman that uh, every time he'd go on the stage, he would... Uh, 12 minutes that he preached, he had said, my brother, my friends, he had said about 176 times, he repeated the same phrase. Uh, watch who you listen to and who you, uh, who, you, who you hear and who you receive from. This, in other services, as some of the charismatic services I've seen, uh, people, uh, the people on the stage that preach, they speak to people in a very uh, disrespectful manner and, and use phrasing that is very of a, of a low standard, that is uh, disrespectful, unacceptable. These are children of God. These are uh, people of, of God, and you should not be uh, turning to them with these sort of words or these kinds of phrasing. The selective uh, love of God presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture in seven unearthly qualities by the preached word of the apostles and prophets. These are, uh, <clears throat> these are virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. First, each of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue are in one the other, contain the characteristics of one the other. <clears throat> they flow one from the other, complete one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. Second, these qualities, these seven characteristics, are called to be the moral perfection within our heart and an example inherent to the essence of God. <clears throat> Third, the given qualities are the great and precious promises entrusted to us through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. For the given qualities presented in the seven characteristics are the imperishable treasures <coughs> and unsearchable wealth of Christ with which we need to become rich. Fifth, in order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, these seven unchanging characteristics, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life. Six, the means that we are to use for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit as the Lord and Master of our life is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. Seventh, by inheriting these great and precious promises in the form of the fruits of our spirit, we become part of God's divine nature. Since the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism, greed, and is just temporary. Therefore, specifically, the fruits of the selective love of God containing the format of the seven unchanging qualities listed previously. These fruits are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ within our body and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ as into our new person. The qualities of the selective love of God have no comparison to the tolerant love of man. Since the qualities of the selective love of God are eternally existing qualities, these qualities are the qualities of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. Or more accurately, He is a holy love, separated from all that man calls love. And such an inaccessible for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of all perfection, which indicates the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God first over the rest of His perfections, identified as His goodness. But above all these things put on love, which is the bond of perfection, Colossians 3.14. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. 
Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy and egotistical purposes or goals of a man. At the same time, the tolerant love of man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes because it is blind. And there's a saying, love is blind. And it's even worse that it's so blind that you can even fall in love with a creature and an animal. God's love is not blind, it loves those who love him, hate those who hate him. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. The love of God does, is not for sale. It does not have sales, it does not have discounts. It is grown. It is grown from the seed of the word of truth, which is God's love that is placed into our heart. The measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil in the nation of God. We don't need to hate the world that lies in, in evil because they do not understand the difference. The world needs to be loved and prayed about. But people who were holy and have transformed themselves into the lawless and the wicked, you cannot pray for them ever. You need to hate them and reject them because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates we are able to demonstrate God's perfection his reaction toward the righteous who perform good and the unrighteous who perform lawlessness the selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is culture grows into the fullness of the growth that we have in Christ or the perfection that is like the perfection of our heavenly father considering therefore that these seven qualities of virtue identifying the selective love of God do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon, not in any dictionary of the world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. God foreknows a person and only afterwards he selects them. He knows ahead of time how people will accept his truth and ahead of time <clears throat> he knows what to do with them. Because of his sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates the boundaries and rights of those people that she chooses. 
and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as God's burning holiness in a specific format from the seven qualities that together, identifying within our heart the goodness of God in the perfection of a selective love, we have already looked at five of these qualities. Therefore, we will immediately look at the sixth, and this is brotherly love. The selective love of God revealing itself in brotherly love can abide and demonstrate itself exclusively in the atmosphere of eternal life where we have passed from death when we were born from the seed of the word of truth. We need to pay attention to a very special place of scripture, pay special attention to it. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why do we know that we have passed from death to life? Because we love our brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. But whoever has these world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. 1 John 3, 14 through 18. <coughs> when a person is born from God, he is faced with a choice, either to enter the state of death and become dead to God and useless for any good work, or enter into the state of eternal life that until now he has not been familiar with and become useful for all good work and demonstration of brotherly love. Every person that is born from God is put in the same situation that Adam was put in, in the Garden of Eden, to whom eternal life was offered in the fruits of the tree of life and eternal death in the fruits of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Being a person of the flesh, Adam was called to eat of the fruits of, it, of the tree of life so that his carnal body would change into a heavenly body. In other words, in order to arise from the from the death of Christ in the resurrection of Christ and present with yourself the Sabbath of the Lord where God would be able to obtain his eternal home and his eternal peace, it is necessary for our heart to become the atmosphere for brotherly love. Therefore, before we begin to study the signs by which we are able to identify a person that is a part of the category of our brothers for whom we lay down our life in order to demonstrate brotherly love within our faith. <clears throat> it is necessary for us to identify the nature of brotherly love that will form within our heart the atmosphere of eternal life that is formed from information that comes from the law of God, identifying the order of the structure of the kingdom of heaven. We talked about this a little bit before. For example, in the Greek language, there are four words for love. First, love for one another or between friends is the word philia. Second, love toward relatives is the word storge. Third, love between a wife toward her husband and husband toward his wife is eros. And fourth, love of a man for God and God for a man, as well as brotherly love, 
is the word agape. The first three forms of, lo of love demonstrate themselves in the flames of human feelings that blind the mind of a man and subordinate his will. Because of this, all three of these forms of love allow a person to use these three forms of love in his own greedy and egotistical goals to satisfy his feelings that are not able to be quenched. According to the revelations of Scripture, the nature of brotherly love forming within our heart the atmosphere of eternal life that is concealed in the love of God agape and unlike the three other forms of love is beyond the boundary of the emotional and, and intelligent abilities not able to intercept the unapproachable light of the fourth realm in which God dwells. The flaming power of the love of God agape revealing itself in brotherly love is concealed in the command that are implemented by God. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells within you, and will be in you. John 14, 15 through 17. Therefore, according to the given place of Scripture, to demonstrate the selective love of God in brotherly love is possible by fulfilling two conditions, following the commandments of the Lord, which regulate our relationship with God and our brothers as our neighbors, for whom we are called to lay down our life in order to pass from death to life. And second, receiving the Holy Spirit into our heart as the Lord and Master of our life in His power and His wisdom <clears throat> that are within the commandments of the Lord and revealing the cons consistency of the selective love of God in the truth that abides within our heart as the commandments of the Lord. <clears throat> Therefore, the love of God agape by the means of the Thummim and, and Urim abiding within our heart reveals itself in the atmosphere of brotherly love that governs with its power over the emotional storms of our human feelings by the confessions of the faith of our heart that abide within our heart. Confessing the faith of our heart controls our feelings as a good rider controls a trained horse. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, he puts bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. James 3, 2 through 4. <clears throat> not sinning in word in demonstrating brotherly love is to speak of your brothers not according to what you heard with your ears you do you hear about this brother or sister that these these and these things I say strange why is it that they pass on information to one people but they don't always pass it on to me and so again, to speak of your brothers, <clears throat> not by the things that you hear, or by the, the side of your eyes to make decisions. <clears throat> there shall come <clears throat> forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears. 
<clears throat> make conclusions about a person or to evaluate a person because someone said something about this person, there will be an indicator within you and when someone begins to say something the indicator will tell you to stop and not accept this information that this person is trying to tell you about this other brother or sister maybe if it were that maybe this person did fall and this person has long ago repented and has changed their life around but people don't want to see that they want to look at those things but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness the belt of his waist Isaiah 11 1 through 5 according to this prophetic uh, place of scripture in order to protect our neighbors from the lawless and wicked that are amongst the saints and also from people that are not controlled and just take information and pass it on to other people. And now as we have generally identified brotherly love, passing from death to life, we need to study four classical questions and ask them first by what signs do we determine that a person is our brother for whom we are called to lay down our life so we can demonstrate in our faith brotherly love <clears throat> second what purpose is the selective love of God called to fulfill in our brother in our brotherly love for one another third what conditions do we need to fulfill in order to demonstrate within our faith the selective love of God in brotherly love and fourth by what results do we examine ourselves so we have brotherly love one for another within the selective love of God we're not talking about brothers in the flesh brothers in uh, in the faith let brotherly love continues Hebrews 13 1 Hebrews 13.1 First question, what by what characteristics do we determine that a person is our brother for whom we are called to lay down our life so we can demonstrate in our faith brotherly love? As much as we know, as in the times of the law of Moses as well as the existing time that is part of the law of grace, not all who call themselves brothers are the seed of God. For they are not all Israel who are of Israel, not, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called. Not, that is, those that are... That is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as the seed. When it's talking about the seed, as it's referring here about Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ we receive legitimate grounds to be called the bro a, a brother. And so in the category of the seed are all saints, whether they are male or female. And so we all, independent from our age, our social position, our gender, male or female, are called to demonstrate love for one another and before all uh, by the words that in the heart are the seed and categorize us as 
a male. You notice it doesn't talk about sisterly love, but a brotherly love, because in this brotherly love, sisters are included. Because in this place of scripture, the scriptures call uh, the sisters as brothers. Not all sisters are brothers, and not all brothers are brothers. Because every time when we are fertilized by the seeds of the word of truth about the kingdom of heaven and confess it with our mouth, then all of us, without exception, fulfill when we receive the seed, the function of a woman, and when we confess we are the function of the male. Which is why the scriptures call all of us the daughters of Zion and the bride of the Lamb. But every time when we confess with our mouth the faith of our heart that abides within our heart, then all of us, without exception, are fulfilling the function of a male. Due to this fact, the scriptures call all of us men that are perfect, <clears throat> that have grown into fullness of stature in Jesus Christ. And so the term brotherly love includes all saints independent from our status, our age, and independent whether you're <clears throat> from the fact of whether you're male or female. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all, in one, all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Galatians 3, 28 through 29. <clears throat> and we ask the question, what status and virtues do the scriptures identify for a brother in Jesus Christ so we can pass from death to life? The virtues that we see in scripture for a brother are the virtue of a neighbor. When in scripture it's talking about brotherly love, then it's talking about a love that we are to demonstrate to a brother as a neighbor. We, not all our brothers or neighbors, although they may be sitting right next to you. How do we, or we need to identify again who our brother is in Jesus Christ as our neighbor. <clears throat> the first sign identifying our brother in Christ as our neighbor is love for our Lord as well as those people that are delegated by God and are a father from God to us. For whomever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Matthew 12, 50. Who is a brother of Christ? The one that fulfills his will. And his will is fulfilled by both men and women. And those who resist God's will are also men and women that say, I have my own mind, I don't understand or agree with certain things. Paul says, pray about that God sent his angels and pull out these by the root that would pull them out from the church, would bind them together, bind them into their own sheaves and cast them out so that there be one head and that's Jesus Christ. In his time, the fathership of God was the son of man and he was a neighbor for every person that fulfilled the truth that comes from his mouth, was a brother for every person. In his resurrection, or after his resurrection, Jesus, uh, as a neighbor, had passed on this mandate to his apostles that they present his interests for all men that come from Jerusalem to Jericho. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, 
wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So when he went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to them, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Luke 10, 29-37, the symbol of a person that goes from Jer Jerusalem to Jericho, who was an Israelite, is the category of saints that have received justification in Jerusalem. But to confirm this given justification, uh, this category as this person was uh, going from Jerusalem to Jericho to the city of palm trees. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall st still bear fruit in old age and they shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Psalm 92, 12 through 15. All of us take this path from Jerusalem to Jericho in order to <clears throat> turn to profit or invest our guarantee of salvation and receive it in uh, in a return of righteousness. The symbol of the thieves that hurt the person that was coming from Jerusalem to Jericho to confirm the justification he already had are our corrupt lusts, our corrupt desires being supported by reigning sin who is the old person. David in one of his psalms explains the situation like this. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Psalm 51.5. Apostle Paul explaining his situation as one coming from Jerusalem to Jericho said, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Romans 7, 22 through 24. A wretched man, he is the one that was beaten by these thieves going from Jerusalem to Jericho. The symbol of the priest and the Levite that were walking the same road, who approached him, looked at him, and kept walking, is service to the deadly letter that is the law of Moses within our body that reveals within our body the presence of sin that was inherited from the seed of the sinful conduct or life of our fathers he, they looked at him and kept walking they gave power to sin they gave power he gave power to these uh, they gave power to this uh, to these thieves who beat him what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. 
but sin taking opportunity by the commandment produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but with, when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was to bring was to bring life I found to bring death for sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it killed me the law that reveals within our body the program of sin gives power to sin which becomes within our body the stronghold of death the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law 1 Corinthians 15 56 the symbol of the Samaritan is our neighbor and so we're talking about again the symbol of the Samaritan it is our neighbor this is Jesus Christ and those people that represent his delegation that walk the same path from Jerusalem to Jericho as it is written but a certain Samaritan as he journeyed came where he was and when he saw him he had compassion so he went to him and bandaged his wounds poured on oil and wine and he set him on his own animal brought him to an inn and took care of him on the next day when he departed he took out two denarii gave them to the innkeeper and said to him take care of him and whatever more you spend when I come again I will repay you the symbol of the donkey upon which the Samaritan brought the man who was beaten by the thieves to the inn is the body of Christ by which he took our sins upon the cross so that he can be that we can be delivered from sin and live for righteousness who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sin might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed 1st Peter 2:24 the symbol of oil and wine is the balm of the grace of God and the teaching of justification that eliminates the previous writing of condemnation that was against us if it wasn't the teaching of justification he would have died for God for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sin of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision circumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us which was contrary to us and he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross having disarmed principalities and powers he made a public spectacle of them triumphing over them in it Colossians 2 9 through 15 the symbol of the inn in which the person that was beaten by the thieves who are his corrupt desires and lusts that are inflamed by the old person he was brought there by the Samaritan until he returns this is the return of Christ before the dawn for his bride this is the church of Jesus Christ the bride of the Lamb let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house there are many mansions and if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may also be John 14 1 through 3 
Usually preachers uh, would say, Jesus prepares a place for, uh, for us there. No, he says, when I prepare for you here, when I prepare this inn, I, I form my church here and I can prepare you here. Because the two denarii that he had paid are the symbol of change. In two days, he will heal our wounds, it is written. That is 2,000 years. In the prophetic word, it's written that when Christ died and resurrected, 2,000 years would it pass by. You say, well, it's already passed. This means that it has not yet passed, that our uh, numbering isn't, isn't correct. And even if it tarries, as it said, to, God said to Abraham, the nation will be for 400 years in slavery, but they were there for 430 years. Why? Because God uh, was tearing this process because they weren't ready. God here is tearing this as well. He is long-suffering. He is waiting that all be would be able to be saved. The symbol of the keeper of the inn is the symbol of the Holy Spirit who will be without, with, uh, with us forever. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. According to this place of scripture, the love of the Lord as our neighbor is an identification of fulfilling God's commandments that we can only do about knowing about the uh, preached word about the kingdom of heaven or knowing this word. The word about the kingdom of heaven is that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that abides within our spirit would deliver our body from the law of sin and death. And so kingdom of heaven that has come to power in the heart by the Holy Spirit, by the preached word that we've received is called to destroy within our body the stronghold of death and erect in its place the stronghold of the resurrection of Christ. Upon the condition that we will have a heart that is cleansed from dead works and that the seed of the kingdom of heaven by our renewed mind collaborating with our pure mouth would be placed into our pure heart that will allow us to proclaim the not existent not existing heavenly body in this physical world as existent as much as we know that destruction of the stronghold of death in our body is to happen by casting off the old man with his deeds by the way of the confessions of the faith of, of God that abide in our heart the process of casting off the old man with, with his deeds we die for our nation the house of our father and for our destructive desires and the erection of the stronghold of life or the resurrection of Christ within our body is called to happen by the collaboration of our mind that is renewed by the spirit of our mind with our pure mouth by which we are to cloak our body into its new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth. And such a process foresees the confessions of such a format of the faith of God that abides within our heart where we proclaim the not existent as existent. According to the words of Christ, only though with the words of the faith of the heart will we be able to cast off from ourselves this old person with his deeds and cloak ourselves into our new person so that we can demonstrate our love to our neighbor our, as our Lord Jesus Christ. Summing up this subject, we can become a neighbor for Christ and Christ for us 
Upon the condition that we direct our path, our passes from Jerusalem to Jericho and take the same path uh, that Jesus took so that we can confirm our justification and the adoption of our body by the redemption of Christ in our in our in second sign identifying our brother in Christ as our neighbor is our sacred person that without the assistance of our intelligent and voluntary abilities will not be able to be healed from the wounds inflicted by the thieves and be grafted to the body of Christ we're going to look at many different things to be able to understand brotherly love who uh, first of all Jesus is our brother second our sacred person the word is near to you in your mouth and in your heart that is the word of faith which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe with your heart that God has raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation Romans 10 8 through 10 you see our new person is also wounded by these thieves by the corrupt desires. He can't just remain as it is independent. And so to save him, it is necessary to have the faith of the heart and the confession of our mouth. If the words of justification of our mouth will not collaborate with the word of justification of our heart, <clears throat> then the salvation that we have received freely by grace in the redemption of Jesus Christ will be lost and our names will be blotted out of the book of life, although they may have been written there at one time. And such a neighbor for our sacred person is our pure is our pure mouth or clean clean tongue without the collaboration of which our sacred person will not be able to be healed from the wounds that were inflicted upon him or be grafted to the body of Christ and so without our confession with our pure mouth and the faith of our heart our neighbor our brother that is in Jesus Christ our new person will not be able to be healed and be grafted to the body of Christ. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that he should no longer be slave, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourself to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Romans 6, 5 through 13. From us, it will depend if we are wounded by sin, if we're, we're wounded by our lusts, our desires, our ambitions, and we feel that they have brought us to the boundary of death, that it has destroyed our relationship with God, then however this dependence may be and however sweet it may appear to us because these corrupt desires sometimes feel sweet for the soul 
It doesn't want to separate from them, but understand that this is death. This is venom that's presented in this sweet or pleasant feeling, a sexual feeling it could be to an unlawful partner. Let us understand these things and agree with them and say, Lord, I want to be free from that. I can't become free alone. Our new person is wounded with these thieves and he is our neighbor for our soul that has received in Christ understanding of who we are in Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. Right now we are going to pray and all those desire to resist sin, resist the fierce illnesses. The Holy Spirit is on your side. <clears throat> God is on your side. <clears throat> the Church of Jesus Christ is on your side. We are on your side. We are your neighbors for you. We will pray for you <clears throat> in order to heal you in this inn so that when Jesus returns, <clears throat> you would be able to have a partaking in the inheritance that is for the saints. Let us bend our knees and our heads and we will pray. We wait for you here. May the Lord bless us in this prayer.
I'm going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that the Holy Spirit that represents Christ as our neighbor, as our brother, to whom we can give place within our heart by the way of leaving these sins, confessing these sins, and by doing this, our spirit can be healed from these thieves, these destructive lusts and desires of our soul. Pray together with me, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you. I open up my heart. You see the wounds of my heart that were inflicted by my desires, my lusts. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, heal my wounds, take my shame. I accept your sacrifice. I die together with you for my nation, the house of my father, and for the destructive desires of my soul. I love you. I hate sin. May your mercy be exalted for me. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that in accordance to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven, and your trespasses, in the name of Jesus Christ, may the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face, and show you mercy, and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May upon you the blessings of the ancient mountains and the everlasting hills be on you. May the stronghold of death be destroyed in your body, and may the stronghold of life be erected within your body, and may you become a carrier of this heavenly body. May this all be upon you and your children, and be fulfilled upon you, and the nation shall say, Amen. The Lord is blessed in His great mercy that He gives to us in His precious promises of the preached word, making us a participant of His nature. We, he is vigilant over His word, and if He has said something, He fulfills His word, this is information. You don't need to feel what has happened as much as just accept this, this fact that you are free from sin, that you are already a carrier of the heavenly body. You now, in the likeness of Abraham and Sarah, the children of whom you are, and I am also, can proclaim the not existent as existent, considering yourself dead to sin, living for God. And now let us, let us proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty 
dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.